0: I'm going to try and keep this message short, and it's quite amazing to me that even as this service has moved along, and as the words have come, there's been a great emphasis on the greatness of God. Well, wouldn't you believe it, that um, the title of my service is, The Greatness of God. And I'm reading from Psalm 111, where it says, "'Praise the Lord, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart, in the company of the upright in the congregation.'" Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is His work, and His righteousness endures forever. He has caused His wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear Him. He remembers His covenant forever. He has shown His people the power of His works, in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of His hands are faithful and just. All His precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to His people. He has commanded His covenant forever. Holy and awesome is His name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Thank you, Lord, for Your Word this morning to us. I pray, Lord God, that, uh, yeah, Lord, let this sit in our hearts. Let us be reminded again of the greatness of who you are. And Lord, we pray that that's not just going to puff our brains up with more knowledge of who you are. It's actually going to produce life. And it's going to produce a sincerity in our faith towards you and how we live our lives. Amen. 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 So this passage of Scripture talks about the nature of God, tells us about how great God is. And then it tells us about, well, if you go on to 112, so 111 talks about the greatness of God. 112 talks about what the life looks like in light of the greatness of God. And I would encourage you to read 112 when you have a spare moment. Um, They're very similar in length, and the layout is very similar. But as I said, 111 talks about who God is. 112 describes a life in the light of God's greatness for this hopefully short sermon, as uh, much as I can. And please bear with me, so I'm on painkillers. And if I truncate, if I skip stuff, I might get a little bit tongue-tied and twisted. Is that okay? You're just going to give me grace this morning. All right. All right. So for the sake of time, let's, let's see how we can go through this. But 111 gives us a great, great description of God. And, and I'm going to smuggle in three points in my first point of who God is. Of who God is. I probably won't do justice to all three, but they are in this passage. Straight away throughout the psalm, we see the affirmation from the psalmist that God is powerful. We see the power of God, right? He is a creator God and mighty are His works. And, and, and if you really were to ponder them and consider them, uh, it, would, it would galvanize your heart, change your heart. In fact, often throughout, um, you know, the thought with with regards to Christianity is is that Christianity is often against science. You know, science and Christianity operate against each other. That's often the prevailing thought in the world. However, within the heart of many of the great scientists, certainly in the last three, four hundred years, their main aim in the application of science has been to ponder The great works of God. So much so that in the Cavendish Laboratory in Cambridge, known as the Science Building, Psalm 111 verse 2 is inscribed above the door. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. that's in the Science Building in Cambridge. Isaac Newton said that this most beautiful system, the sun, planets, and and comets, could only proceed from the counsel and dominion of an intelligent and powerful being. That's Isaac Newton. I found it fascinating. Recently, um, secular people are saying that there is a rapid decline in the new atheistic movement. Did you know that? So, off the back of 9 11, the new atheists rose up your Sam Harris's and your Richard Dawkins, and there was this big movement towards an affirmation of atheism. But over the last few years, it has declined incredibly because it offers no meaning and no purpose for life. It's a dead-end system. In fact, Stephen Mayer, who I mentioned a few weeks ago, who is an astrophysicist, has just released a book called The Return of the God Hypothesis, where he's looking at the genome, he's looking at the smallest cells, I don't even know if I'm using the right language, but he's saying that the code within these cells, the code within the fabric of of, um, of the world, he says, points to an intelligent designer. So there's this rise, there's this decline in new atheism, and this rise in what is called intelligent design. And Isaac Newton said it hundreds of years ago, this most beautiful system, the sun, planets, comets, could only proceed. From the counsel and dominion of an intelligent, powerful being. In this passage in the Psalms, I want you to see the power of God. The power of God. Sometimes when you step outside and you kind of you think about your life and you think about even the faculties of your body, as I've done recently with regards to my kidney, you know, I realize like this this. I cannot believe that this is just an accident, that once I uh, sort of emanated from some kind of primordial slam. But that God has made us. God has made the dirt on which we walk. God has given us brains to use. And why? Because God is a powerful God. The other day I was with some friends down in East London, some pastor friends, and we were looking out over the ocean. And I just thought, there's no accidental collocation of atoms that could have produced this expanse of ocean and all the sea life that is in it. And I really do believe that the greater the telescope or the more precise the microscope, the greater God we will see. Not the, not the opposite. I mean, think about abortion. Abortion is probably the most atrocious human invention. It's a travesty. And I was encouraged a few years ago to hear a preacher speak about the fact that science is going to help us win the battle on abortion. And the reason he said that is because the greater the microscope, the more we can see the conception of a human being, the more we're going to realize that it's abhorrent to kill it. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. So He's powerful, but He's also our Redeemer. This is the second point I'm smuggling in the first point. The psalmist shows that He is our great Redeemer, shows us the redemption. He has caused His wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. The wondrous works that the psalmist is referring to is both the redemption uh, that God provided for the people of Israel out of Egypt, But in verse 9, it says He sent redemption to His people. He has commanded His covenant forever. Holy and awesome is His name. Not only did God free the children of Israel from slavery, He gave them food to eat, He parted the Red Sea, He brought them into the promised land. There's redemption in the past, but there's redemption in the future as well. In the Gospel of Luke, we see the fulfillment of this Where we read, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people. You know, uh, when it comes to this idea of redemption, why do we need redemption? Well, I believe that everybody has this internal um, awareness, call it conscience, of morality. We all objectively understand that it is wrong to do certain things and right to do other things and obviously sociologists and atheists would like to propose that those are just social constructs how can we work together as a community well let's not kill each other okay that's a good start you know you know how how can we work together as a community well let's not sti- no no we don't need to make that stuff up it's embedded in our dna it's embedded in who we are it's an objective truth and so People outside of Christ, if you, if you don't know the redeeming work of Jesus, you have this internal thing of saying, well, how are my good deeds doing against my bad deeds? You know How are they weighing up? How am I managing with that? Well, the sincere and thoughtful person, when they examine their own hearts, they realize that they are in a hiding second to none. Because no one is righteous. Oh, but my aunt, she's not one. No, no one is righteous. Well, my uncle's very kind. Not one. Not one. No one's righteous. And even if the person who who rejects the morality of God and tries to stand on their own standard of morality, and let's say they have their own kind of tape recorder tapped to their, their heart and they walk around, the reality is their life eventually is going to record the fact that they themselves can't even live up to their own moral standards let alone those of God's. For this, you and I, for the Israelites, for the psalmist, we need a redeemer. And the psalm reminds us that God is a redeemer. The God of the Bible is a redeemer. This is when it gets interesting. God who is all-powerful, God is our savior and our redeemer, but God is also personal and present. Personal and present. Oh, Lord, by the the power of your Holy Spirit right now, would you drop in our hearts right now just how personal you are, just how present you are right here, right now. You know Luke's heart. You know Tyron's heart. You know Anele's heart. You're close. You're close to us. You know Jenna's heart. You know, each and every one of us, personally, your presence is here. I mean, think about that. God is all-powerful. He's our Redeemer. But He's also deeply involved. He's planning and executing. When we think back to the Exodus which has been referred to in the psalm, we see that God saves Moses when he was a baby, preserves his life, prepares him for leadership, calls him to lead, tells him exactly what to do every step of the way. He even sends plagues and he hardens Pharaoh's hearts. In my walk with God I've seen God be personally present in my life so many times. Forgive me if I repeat the story. We were in Slovakia one year. We were driving on a three-lane highway out of a town in Slovakia. We were on tour, and it was my job. Have I told you this? I think I have. It was my job to put the trailer on the van, and I didn't do it properly. And, And in between, so there's three lanes here, three lanes here, and a tram in the middle. And as we come around the corner, the trailer overtakes us. And it hops onto the tram line, into the oncoming traffic. And up ahead of us is this concrete embankment with bollards. And above it is a parking lot. That trailer hops the curb, goes through the bollards, up into the parking lot, and turns into a parking bay. (laughs) Friends, I've got to tell you. It doesn't matter how cynical you are; you cannot write a story like that. <laughs> the amount of things that could have gone wrong, the amount of lives that could have been lost. I've seen God personally present. Did a concert one year, and we drove out of the 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 the, the venue, and our gearbox broke. And you know, gearbox in a truck. So we send it in to get repaired. And that week, we get a call from a, a little Christian school in Randburg. And they said, please, won't you come and do a show for us? And, and if you know anything about our ministry, we wanted to mainly do concerts in, in government C, uh, what? Model C kind of high schools, well integrated high schools, um, and where people weren't Christians. We were wanting to tell them about Jesus. And so we actually had a policy we wouldn't do Christian schools. And they, they hammered us. They said, please, won't you come? Please, won't you come? And we had a higher bucky. And so eventually we conceded, okay, we'll come. And we had a bad attitude. Bad attitude. We got to the school. We set up the smallest sound system possible to do the least amount of work. We sang three quick songs. We packed our stuff away. And as we were driving, now we had already received the bill for our gearbox for the truck that was in the garage. And it was, at the time, it was 12,000 Rand cheap for today's standards, right? But anyway, as we're driving out, the headmaster of the school runs out and he says, Oh, thank you so much for coming. I just want to bless you. Bron's sitting in the front seat, gives Bron an envelope. We open the envelope as we're driving out 10,000 Rand in the envelope. Then that Friday night, we're going to do a concert. Now, they don't know anything, right? We've not gone and said to them, Oh, we can't come to your school because, you know, our truck's broken. You know, faith without hints. You know? <laughs> no, there was no hinting. There's no hinting. There's none of that. They didn't know anything. And that Friday night, we are doing the concert, and that same headmaster brings a whole lot of his kids to that concert. And Thyra was there. Thara, I sent Thyra out. She was doing our bookings. And so I said, Thyra, will not you go and let that headmaster know that actually they didn't know what we were going through, and their blessing was amazing. So she goes and tells him. She says, I just want you to know, you didn't know this, our our vehicle was uh, damaged, and and in this week we've had a bit of stress and so on, and and your gift to us was a real blessing. To which he says to her, he says, well, how much was it? So she said it was 12,000 Rand, he said, you know what, God told me to give you 12,000 Rand, and I didn't listen. Right there, and then he said, yes, the other two. Means you can't write that. God is personal and present. Now, forgive me for that example because that example tends to be about money. And I really don't want to make this about money. Please don't go away going, like, hey, my bank account's a bit low. You know, God be personal and present. No, God is personal and present in every part of your life. Every part of your life. Safety, provision. Psalmist tells us that God is all-powerful, God is our redeemer, and God is personal.